Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following episode was recorded before the WGA SAG-AFTRA strikes of 2023. When I first heard about the revolution in Iran, it just made me think so much about how truly grateful I am for the freedoms of my daughter and my wife. Gosh, there's so much that we take for granted here in this country. Yes, we have a long way to go in terms of equality, gender equality, and things like the Equal Rights Amendment that still hasn't been able to pass. But At the same time, there's parts of the world where being a woman limits your opportunities. To have a society that is based on that and on those traditions of silencing the voices of these, you know, incredible women is really a tragedy. And I think that it's very inspiring to me to see these women that have risen up in Iran and Afghanistan and other countries. I have a tremendous privilege as a man and the safety that I feel traveling most places in the world is something that is very, very easy to take for granted. So today we have Nazanin Boniadi and her guest Roya, both from Iran. They've got some very, very powerful stories to share. This is a very, very timely issue. So please lean in. I'm glad you're here. Okay, here we are with Nazanin Boniati. Now, first off, did I get it even close to being right? I'm so impressed. <laughs> you nailed it. Listen, that is a star's name. I mean, ah, but did you change you. your name? Did you change your name? No. In fact, a lot of people told me to change my name. And I really? thought, you know, I, I started acting in sort of a post 9-11 climate. So it was... Uh, you know, nobody's going to, that's not going to resonate with anyone. You'll, you'll be stuck, stuck playing sort of human shields for the rest of your life. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. What were some of the worst names that they suggested? <laughs> um, a lot of people wanted me to be named Nina, like my first name to be changed from Nazanin to Nina. Uh-huh. Like, well, that's still kind of Iranian, but you can, you know, it's westernized and Right. Um, and I think very few people had a huge name with a uh, problem with my last name. It was mainly just sort of the first name. But, you know, you have so many great Iranian actors with incredibly sort of complex and gorgeous names like Shora Al-Tashlu. And, um, and why not? I mean, that's Why not? <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, it, people have actually asked me if I change my name to Bacon 
because I thought, I you know, that that would be as somehow would, I, I don't know. And I'm like, what kind of a fool would want to be, you know, uh, have a lifetime of, of jokes about your last name being a breakfast food? And <laughs> I, I was, comp- I, I couldn't believe it when, when people, th- I mean, I, I, I can't, I don't think I ever really thought about switching it, but you know, also there's a, a very, very large population of the, of the world that the, the name Bacon does not bring up good feelings. Oh, well, yeah, I never thought of that, but you know what? I, I really, I dig your name and thank goodness you didn't, <laughs> thank goodness you didn't change it. Well, thank you so much for saying that. You know, a lot of times when uh, people come on, actor, pretty much everybody that's been on this, on this uh, podcast, we, we try to, I try to think about or actually do research into whether or not there are actually any connections because of this, you know, six degrees thing. Yeah. And I don't think that we've ever worked together in the same project, as far as I can tell. No. Um, I'm absolutely certain that you've worked with someone that I've worked with, although I'm not yeah. exactly sure who that who that necessarily is. But one connection that we, we do have is a history of soap operas. Oh, I didn't know that. Which one yeah. were you on? Well, I started uh, in the 70s in New yeah. York. And yeah. one of the, the first soap opera that I did was called Search for Tomorrow. Oh. Not, it doesn't even exist anymore. Right. And, um, and I was uh, a boy who just in for the summer. And the yeah. reason that I was there was there was a very, very popular young lady who was in the course of that summer going to turn 16 and have her first kiss. And I was going to be the kiss, but it was kind of the build up to that. Uh, and and then I went on to uh, the Guiding Light, which I was on yeah. for for a year as Tim, the teenage alcoholic. So, how did you find your way to <laughs> uh, to soaps? I mean, it was right the beginning of my career, and I feel like goodness. Now I'm thinking back; it was, it was a very long time ago, and I um I I appreciated the fact that it it was like boot camp. Because you're learning what an episode of dialogue a day, oh yeah, and it's it's just it's a lot, um, and you're making. I made all my mistakes on screen. I mean, I cringe sometimes when I look back at those episodes, and I'm like, I, what was I thinking? Um, I mean, I was headed to medical school. I was going to be a doctor, like a, every good Iranian girl is supposed to be. No and then, kidding! Um, wow, yeah. what kind of medicine were you going to do? I was thinking pediatric oncology, which would have been hugely depressing. But I'm wow, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, I graduated with honors in pre med, and then I became a nurse on General Hospital. So my dad was like, <laughs> "That makes no sense to me." Um, you got demoted. But yeah, you got the motor once you became an actor, but doesn't that happen to us a lot? I think I don't yeah. know that, that yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, you know, you you uh, you work so hard as a waiter, and then you you know your first job is as a busboy, uh, yeah. in, in a movie, you know. Um, but that's but that's that's fascinating. So, but take take me back to uh, you were born in Iran, correct? Yeah, yes. And and you left uh, right around the time of the revolution, or right after the Iranian Revolution? Yeah, right after the Islamic Revolution, which was seventy nine. And um, so I was. What actually happened was my parents tried to leave when my mother was eight months pregnant, and then, um, you know, a scene straight out of Argo. Basically, my father's name was announced on the the PA system um, at the airport as they were trying to leave. Oh and, wow. Um, Mr. Borneoli wow. was summoned to the Revolutionary Court, and what that meant was they were both dissidents. They didn't; they were opposed to the newly forming Islamic Republic, and they uh-huh. they realized that raising a child in that environment where political, social, legal rights were just quickly being stripped away from people um, wouldn't be a good thing. And my dad would probably be executed because he was against the regime. And so, was he was he a doctor? Was he in in medicine as well? He was a journalist. Oh, um, journalist. Oh, and, journalist. You know, okay. They don't like gen- They don't like anybody who sort of uses free expression. Um, and he worked for the the king's newspaper. So anybody who worked under the former guard, that was sort of like target um, public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. And so we were summoned. I happened to be born while he was waiting for his court date, which you would have most likely been just summarily executed. Um, and we managed to escape on fake passports, you know, 20 days or something after I was born. Where did born. you fly? Um, Where did you fly? As London. An infant? That's, 
that's where I was raised. We got oh, political wow. asylum in London. My uncle was there at the time, so it made sense. My my parents obviously knew a tiny bit of English because it was like the second language, um, second or third language at the time uh, being taught in Iran. And um, it just made most sense. And so I grew up in London in council flats and bed and breakfasts. And, um, and I managed to sort of get a scholarship to a private school because um, I studied really hard. It's a typical immigrant story of parents wanting their kids to sort of um, be successful. And, sure. And, you know, yeah. Wow, what a story. Now, so the, so the passports had to be uh, gathered off of like the black market or something like that, or, or? No, actually, oddly enough, the guy who took over the newspaper that my father was working for, mm-hmm. uh, in which he was sort of head chief accountant and occasionally wrote as well, he... Uh, he um, he he was he worked for the new government, the new regime, but he took a liking to my dad, and he mm. he said, "Look, you will be executed. You need to get out." And he helped us escape. And then a year later, he was executed. Oh my! So yeah, wow, that is some yeah. story. Yeah, and I guess this has probably happened to a lot of people. I mean, uh, yeah, I actually just had dinner with a, a a man the other night who had a very very similar story but ended up in England yeah. and, and went to school in 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 the UK. Yeah. So you so, so you so you're there living in London and um uh what 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 did your parents do then? I mean, did they just kind of find any any job they could or Yeah, menial jobs, you know, it was mm-hmm. a huge um again, much like any other sort of refugee where you leave sort of a stable life, things that you're familiar with and know and 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 perhaps even great success and you leave and you have to sort of start from scratch. Except for this is a young couple. My mother was 20 at the time. My dad was 30 and um, I was 20 days when we got to London. So oh you can gosh. imagine it, it adds a lot of pressure to a couple who don't really know the language or sure. how to navigate life at such a young age. And then what was the, uh, the evil cup that you drank uh, become an actor that made you go <laughs> I, I think I'm not going to save uh uh you know babies I think I'll, I'll I'll be an actor oh goodness I feel like okay so I was in every single high school play I was uh-huh. very sort of artistic growing up but it was always encouraged that it would that would well that's just your hobby right so that's you can do that you can go take ballet classes and do ice skating performances on the ice ice rink and you can play the violin and you can be in every high school play, but that's always just going to be a hobby. I think it's just ingrained in our culture that we have to be academic. It's a running joke. Iranians have to be doctors. You have lots of choices. Doctor, engineer, lawyer, dentist. (laughs) (laughs) Those are your options. Um, And I I chose sort of like, I thought, I always knew I wanted to help people. I thought, well, medicine, that's just how I'm going to help people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I sort of suppress the artistic side and then I got to a point where I got my I studied so hard Kevin I thought it just didn't come naturally to me to get A's so to get the A's and to graduate with honors I went to UC I went to UC Irvine um I moved for university and I thought okay I just had to study so hard it didn't come naturally at all so when I graduated with honors I remember thinking this is great but it just ruined like it ruined every ounce of my soul to get Mm. here it didn't mm. come naturally, and the arts did and do. So it right. feels like I made the right choice. Oh, uh, well, clearly you made the right choice. Um, just uh, well, I'm just circling back, just thinking about something. As a uh, a scholarship student in a uh, in a London uh, school or in the British school system, and being uh, an Iranian uh, refugee, did you find that people were welcoming i mean I'm, I'm i'm assuming that there weren't a lot a lot of other uh you didn't have a lot of friends who were who were iranian no in fact i think there might have only been one more iranian person in my there was one iranian guy in my class um mm-hmm. i think maybe in, in all my school um and yeah i mean there was just a huge difference between i would go home to a council flat um government which is government housing and then go to this really posh school with, you know, a bunch of rich kids. And, um, you know, I, I counted my blessings every day that I got to sort of get that education. But mm-hmm. yeah, the, the two lives that I led sort of at home and were, were very different. 
And how is how did you was it a, a kind of a culture shock to land in in Southern California and and uh, see that? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's odd. It's I mean I'm sure you spent a lot of time in the UK. We speak the same language, but it is it's hugely different. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah so yeah, that, people people sort of take it for granted. Like oh, I just moved to London or I just moved to LA, but it it is. It takes some adjusting, and it's 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 just different. So you're in. Um, California and you're finishing up medical school and you have this giant, giant fork in the road and you take a, a different turn. I, I, yeah. How is it? How, so I'm assuming like, I don't, I'm not really sure on the, I didn't, I didn't go to college. So I'm not sure on the math of what you'd be in your twenties maybe or. Yeah. So or... I finished pre-med. So I got a degree in biology and I was applying to medical school. Um, and I was 24, I guess, 25. And that's when I, when I decided I wanted, I actually wanted to act, and I called my dad, who's still in in London, and I said, "Thanks for helping me with college, but I'm going to go act now." Needless to say, that didn't that didn't necessarily go down very well. <laughs> <laughs> I can't <sighs> imagine. I mean, I'm picturing like an emoji with your with your, his head blowing off. Yeah. Wow, he was not happy. No, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's, he's happy now. Yeah, he he said something along the lines of. Couldn't you have decided this like maybe four or five years ago before we um, before we invested sort of five years for four or five years in college? Um, how do you even begin, uh, you know, to 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 have that career? I mean, what, do, I mean, I think people are always fascinated in in what you, you know how how you, how do you start to be an actor? Gosh, I, I wish there was. I'm sure you get asked this question all the time, and I wish there was sort of this like just one answer that we could give everyone and help them along the way it's it is sort of hit or miss and you try everything and for me just because i just graduated uni i thought okay i'm just going to go to ucla and usc and ask to be in every single student film and uh, put a reel together and work for free and and then submit to get sort of a manager and see how that goes i was really lucky because you know, everybody said you're in your mid twenties as an actress. As, as a woman, it's it's harder. As an as a minority woman, it's even harder, um, especially in a post nine eleven climate. It just sure, all felt yeah. sort of the wrong time for me right. to start. Um, right. And also, I was aware that people were doing this since they were nine and mm -hmm. still hadn't quite whatever made it means, but in their minds hadn't made it. Um, and then I was lucky because I managed to get a SAG card nine months after I decided acting, decided to start acting. So I just thought that's, and then I realized, okay, so maybe I am supposed to be doing this. Um, yeah, it's a good sign. But I gotta yeah. tell you, uh, I don't know that I know of anyone, or I've never spoken to, I, I, I started out in New York, but I'd never spoken to anyone that actually went that, that's a fascinating route to actually go to USC yeah. and UCLA and just, what do you go like up to a, a message board or something and just see if there's yeah. anybody cast in a part? Yeah, that's really smart, because uh, because then you end up with with film, you know, and right. and and you get and you end up with two great things. One is film, and one is experience. Right. Um, and and by the way, I don't know if you feel this way, but I'm I'm still waiting to make it. I mean, I yeah. I, I mean, you know, I don't I you know that idea that somebody feels like they got there is Listen. it's a it's not very common, I think, among actors. I think we really are constantly, you know, still searching for something else because, you know, we 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 we're we're freelance operators, you know, and we got to keep keep the the work rolling in. So you get on yeah. the soap, and and, and that well, that soap was shot in L.A. General Hospital, right? Gosh, yeah, it was no, it was L.A. and it just it just makes me feel so warm to to <laughs> to hear you say that, Kevin, because it just. Um... This idea that you, with your your level of success, still have that feeling, you know, of I'm always waiting for the phone to ring. I'm always right. waiting for the yeah. phone to ring. Isn't I mean, I just I don't want it anymore. You know what I mean? I, uh, I you know, and I, I have my moments where sometimes I go, yeah, you know, you're doing okay, but mostly it's kind of like the opposite. Like, you know, yeah. uh, I don't know. I've talked I've talked to other actors, um, you know, to friends about how we actually through this i think you would probably agree and when when i when i ask about the process of how you actually got involved and got your you know sad card and that kind of stuff i think that one of the things is that 
you wake up every day and you do some kind of baby step towards what it is that you're hoping for. So yeah. you don't let the big, big picture, you know, kind of overwhelm. You focus on what, what can I do today, you know, because the hard thing about if, if you're a, a violinist, you know, you got your violin, you can take it out and, and play all day, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you're an actor, it's kind of hard to just walk around and act. You know? That's so true. Yeah. But that's so, I mean, I, th I find this story so uh, inspiring from so many levels. I mean, uh, the, the terror that your parents went through with their, their, their lives on the line, being able to escape and coming to the UK with nothing, this scholarship, this, all the work that you put in towards, towards the uh, medical career and that, it ha that you even, you know, specifically wanted to help babies. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, everything is, is just very, very inspiring. And I, and I really do think that making, it's so terrifying. Uh, when you're 24, you don't feel like a kid, right? You right. know, now at my age, I think of someone at 24, I think of them sort of as being <laughs> a kid. But when I was 24, I, there, was, there was no part of me that thought of myself as a as a kid. And to right. to make a giant turn in your life, at that point, I had the courage to say, you know, I think I want to put down the stethoscope and pick up a script. Is just it's it's very it's very inspiring to me. I find, Thank it, I find you. it fascinating. Thank Kevin. Are you working now? You know what's odd is I uh, for the past ten months, of course, I've been just committed and devoted to this uh, woman life freedom revolution in Iran. But um, before that, I, you know, um, I, I, I was working and and um, it did you know Lord of the Rings and um, again, like you, much like you, I'm waiting for the for the phone to ring and. Um, and but also I've been really happy with sort of turning down the work in the past 10 months because I, I this has been my focus and I've really been happy to sort of stay focused on this. It's not sustainable. We have to make livings and we have to sort of keep doing the work and also to nurture our, our artistic brains because I don't I don't know about you, Kevin, but when I'm when there's a lull, I, f I do feel like something's missing. I feel like I need to get back in the groove of things and. Um, be in an artistic community and um, so yeah I, I, it, it's getting to that point now have we turned any kind of a corner in your mind uh, you know we you spoke briefly about being in a post 9-11 situation being an Iranian actress uh, with an Iranian name the, the limited possibilities in terms of people's minds um, Casting-wise, um, yeah, have have we turned any kind of a corner in, in, in terms of that in in our industry? Do you think? Because I I just wonder if there's been any movement. Yeah, I mean, I've I've deliberately tried to make choices. I think that have veered away from being pigeonholed in that sort of like um, just stereotype. Um, mm -hmm. I was lucky because you know, 2011, I I got the role of Nora on How I Met Your Mother, which was she was just a girl and. Um, and sort of the first real love to Barney Stinson, and and she happened. I happened to be Iranian, but there was no mention of you know where she's from or background. Do, she was just. A girl. Were you English? Did you do an English accent? I did my own accent, yeah. Uh, and uh -huh. um, it was fun to do a comedy and and just to play a woman and not be sort of stereotyped or pigeonholed. Um, and then of course, right after that, I had Homeland, um, where I did play a Muslim Iranian woman mm -hmm. with a headscarf. Um, yeah, you were great. And it was you were just, great on that. Thank you. Um, yeah. And it was such a lesson in sort of, you know, it was it was a step in the right direction at the time. I knew what they were doing, which was not all Muslims are bad, and not you know let's portray this this positive character. This is the sort of epitome of what what it's like to be a representation of of um, just a Muslim woman and not mm -hmm. a um, not a, a baddie or or a villain. Right. And sure. so that was a step in the right direction. Today, by today's standards, if we look at that, we we would say, okay, maybe there was room for sort of adjustment, and then it kept growing and growing after that. Of like, you know, um, I think things are shifting; they're, they're heading in the right direction for sure. You do, okay. Yeah, I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> yeah.
Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to hear her side of the story. Joe and Serena sit down for an intimate conversation with Maria Georges on Bachelor Happy Hour. I have to ask, I heard a rumor that you were dating at one point one of Drake's best friends. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Listen to Bachelor Happy Hour on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Bachelor Happy Hour. Listen now everywhere you listen to podcasts and don't miss part two Monday night. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Well, talk to me about women, life, freedom. It seems to be, we, we highlight a lot of organizations. This feels a little bit more like a movement than an actual uh, organization. Am I correct in that? I mean. Yeah, it's it's a movement. It's the slogan. It's essentially the battle cry uh, in the aftermath of the murder in custody of Masajina. I mean, of course, the 22-year-old Kurdish Iranian woman who was arrested for, quote unquote, inappropriate hijab. Uh, by the, again, so-called morality police. Um, it's such a dystopian reality they live in. I've had my own run-in with morality, the morality police in when I visited Iran uh, when I was 12, and it was a really harrowing experience of just being grilled. And I, it was a glimpse into sort of the daily indignities that women and girls face in Iran. Mm. And so in the aftermath of her murder, people rose up and the battle cry became woman, life, freedom, which is essentially we want women's rights and equality and we want the, the, you know, we want a normal life and we want freedom. And and that quickly, um, you know, women took the streets, young girls took the streets, taking off their compulsory hijabs. Um, it was and incredible saying, we, to watch, I mean, from here, yeah. Ah, it's so inspiring. And and saying the slogans, slogan, woman, life, freedom, that led to sort of a pro-democracy uprising because I think what people don't realize is that Massa wasn't just young and a woman. She was also a member of an ethnic and religious minority group. She was a Kurd and she was a uh, Sunni Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so what it did to society was anybody who's a minority, anyone who's fighting for any kind of right, uh, basic human right, understood that until women and girls have their freedom, democracy won't prevail. So it became a pro-democracy uprising. And they're still going. We may not see the numbers on the streets, but... 
uh, as much as we did in the past few months. But that that sort of revolution is in their hearts and their minds. And I talk to people in the, on the ground every day and, and they are saying, please don't give up on us, which is why I'm so grateful to you, Kevin, for for spotlighting this. Now, uh, is it a, well, I'm, I'm wondering about that because is it a, the fact that we haven't been seeing that much of it in that, uh, I mean, obviously people have such short memories in this, in this age that we're living in. Um, is, is that a function of the movement being, uh, sort of squashed or is it a temporary thing? I mean, what, 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 what can we learn about that? That's a great question. I, you know, these uprisings really started, what people don't realize, the anti-compulsory hijab uprising started in December 2017. There have been ebbs and flows. The only mm. real big break in the, the, the uprising has been um, the pandemic, which, which is very telling. It tells you everything about the Iranian people. They don't want to put other Iranians at risk, so they won't take to the streets if they feel like they might be contagious and they, they, they'll get somebody else sick and mm. then that might lead to their death. But they are very willing to take to the streets and risk their own lives, you know, mm. at the hands of the regime's so-called security forces um, and take a bullet. I mean, they're being shot in the eyes and blinded. They're being, young girls are being, school girls are being gassed um, and yet they keep protesting. Of course, it's not sustainable because what, what the reason we're not seeing the numbers on the streets is because after being killed and tortured and raped and all these things there's only so much people can take so you see sort of them you know taking a step back regrouping but the ebbs and the the time between the ebbs and the flows are getting shorter and shorter i don't doubt that that we're going to see another mass uprising soon the question is can we the international community step up this time mm -hmm. make sure iranians have internet access really condemn and hold the iranian regime to uh, to account and stand with the Iranian people. As long as we keep negotiating with their, their leadership, as long as we normalize them, we, we're not really standing with the people. We need to, all we need to do is stand with the people so that they decide what they want for their own future. That's an excellent, excellent point. I want to bring into this conversation Roya Puri. First off, thank you, welcome, and thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, do, do the two of you know each other? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, we do. <laughs> oh, yes. okay, okay. And how are you, Roya? I'm fine. I'm um, somehow struggling with a lot of uh, ups and downs, but uh, at this moment, uh, I'm better. I'm getting better, but, you know, I always say that until we overthrow this regime, uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran, and until we... Uh, seek uh, justice and uh, we will be able to gain justice in Iran, I think I'm not going to be fine until that time, but I'm better. Now, I, first off, let me just say from the bottom of my heart, this is a very difficult uh, thing for you to discuss, and I am hey. truly, truly sorry for your loss. And uh, and thank you for having the courage to um, you know to, to 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 take that terrible situation and and use your voice to try to um, uh, try to facilitate some kind of change in in people's thinking. But can you just tell us uh, the story? Uh, first of all, thanks for having me here. It's an honor. I was born in Iran. I was born in the city of Kermanshah. It's a Kurdish city. I'm a Kurdish girl. I was born in a Kurdish family. My family were pretty decent. Like I, I had a healthy family, no traumas. Uh, even the fact that I was growing up in a society under the control of an outdated regime with, with outdated ideologies uh, they have the Islamic Republic. I think I I had a good life. We we were good together, me and my family. Uh, I have two siblings. I have a brother, sister, both older than me. Mm -hmm. And I was the last child. Um, mm -hmm. Me too. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. kind of spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
uh, and my family they were not religious at all and on my father's side actually uh we uh we were a Yarasan, which is a, a religion uh, in the Kurdish province it is uh a lot of people there uh are a part of that uh community and uh, uh their religion is Yarasan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but me myself we i don't believe in um anything like kind of agnostic and mm-hmm. yeah so religion uh, was not a big deal in our family so somehow in my house in my family i i had freedom but you know when you go out uh when you communicate uh, it's it's like you be, become a hypocrite you have to show something especially mm-hmm. in uh, school in uh, universities and uh, where you go to administrations uh, to do something, uh, you have to become something else. Something it's that like they living want a double to. life. It's like you have a double yeah, life. Yeah, exactly. You mm-hmm. have to always put on a mask. This was, uh, you know, the explanation that I uh, thought that I need to make. Yeah, before I uh, get into the story. Uh, so no, it's, it was, it's great. It's very helpful. It's fascinating. Yeah, um, thank you. Um, so it was on September uh, 20, uh, 2022. That morning, uh, I was with my mom at home. And uh, we used to go to the gym with each other. So uh, she was a bit away uh, from exercising. And uh, she said, uh, I'd better start exercising again and coming to the gym with you. But I don't know that day I was I, I felt a bit sick and I just told her that I'm I'm not really in the mood. I don't feel well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we didn't go. After that, uh, at lunchtime, I got out of uh, home and that was the last time I saw my mom. I went to join my friends for the launch, and after that, I ha- had to go to my uh, brother's house to feed their cats because they were uh, traveling. Uh, they were in Tehran, uh, so yeah, I didn't know that she was going to join the protest. Uh, she didn't tell me anything about it. She just told me maybe uh, she would go. Uh, do some ping pong because uh, she why do you was... think she didn't tell you about it? I'm, I'm curious. Um, she did. Was she trying to I don't uh, think, keep you from I, it? I or, don't think or... there is. No, I don't think she wanted to keep it secret. Like she was mm-hmm. worried. Uh, like if I in, uh, joined her, uh, no, I, I think it was like a sudden decision. Uh, hmm. Yeah, it was just like her. It was kind of like on her route, maybe she just got a sense that it was happening and, and decided to join in. Yeah, and uh, it was not unexpected because my mom, uh, she uh, used to participate in the previous uprisings, like uprising in 2019, 2020, which uh, people in Iran, they call it the Bloody November or Bloody mm-hmm. Avon. And... She participated in that and in a green movement. And yeah, all, all of my family, they were always opposed to the Islamic Republic. Right. So she felt that responsibility and mm-hmm. she always cared about people. She was, uh, I, I'm not saying this because it's my mom, everybody loved their mom. But yeah, she was truly kind hearted. I think. She did what she had to, and after mm-hmm. and uh, sorry, and uh, when when she got out, my father uh, was with her. It was seven thirty, yeah, I think around that time. She said to my father that uh, she wants to go to the street and uh, join the protest. And my father was really worried because uh, we already seen that they killed people. Like in uh, the bloody November, they, it said that they have killed 1,500 people. Mm. Uh, so he was worried about her. And he said that don't go. And 
she told her uh, told him that if I don't go and you don't go, then who will go? Then the uh, youth will go out and they will be killed. So that's how she felt about mm. this. Right. Uh, she felt sympathy and empathy for Manasa, for Gina, a 22-year-old mm -hmm. girl who was killed just for improper job. She had a job on. It was just not proper to them, to the morality police. Uh, and it, it's it's just really absurd. It's ridiculous. And her death was like a spark. Like uh, the society, they had the potential, they had the anger towards the regime because uh, they were struggling with a lot of things uh, in their lives, the lives that uh, the Islamic Republic made for them. They were struggling with pover poverty, with discrimination, gender mm -hmm. apartheid, corruption in everything, like in administrations, the economy, with that they don't have uh, basic human rights. So they were fed up with it. Yeah, as I, as I said, my mother, she was always opposed to this regime. Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to hear her side of the story. Joe and Serena sit down for an intimate conversation with Maria Georges on Bachelor Happy Hour. I have to ask, I heard a rumor that you were dating at one point one of Drake's best friends. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Listen to Bachelor Happy Hour on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Bachelor Happy Hour. Listen now everywhere you listen to podcasts and don't miss part two Monday night. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I mean, it's a, 
a terrible, terrible piece of news to get and devastating, I'm sure, for your father and for your siblings. Um, and But it seems as though you have decided to uh, kind of take it and start using your voice um, in, in terms of this. And, I'm, and it, it, you know, I mean, I, I would think that a lot of people uh, would kind of go the other direction, you know, would sort of say, well, this is just t- too painful and not to mention too dangerous and too life-threatening to be able to, to you know, kind of speak about this. What 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 is it that that made you specifically want to get involved and continue to you know uh, carry on your mother's legacy of of wanting to wanting change? In the beginning, uh, the way that I protested against what happened, uh, what, what they did to my mother and uh, to my family, it wasn't in words. I didn't speak. I showed it with a picture. Uh, that was my way uh, because somehow I'm an introvert person and I can't uh, really put my feelings into words. I managed to uh, take that picture, look into the uh, camera with my he- head shape and, and with my hair in my hands. That, that was it. That was all that I felt. And people received my message. People understood that feeling, that anger uh, that I had and that grief. And I wanted that that picture to uh, go viral and uh, to be seen. And and somehow it went it is then viral like uh, not not the way that I expected. Uh, because uh, it was just not Iranian, uh, like people outside Iran seen that picture and uh, felt what I felt somehow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, at the beginning it wasn't with uh, speaking up, uh, but after I got out of Iran, uh, so I first I went to Turkey and I stayed there, and then I went to France. That was the time that I had I was able to speak up. Uh, when we met uh, President Macron with a group, uh, like with uh, journalists and activists, political activists, Masia Alinejad and uh, Miss Ladan uh, Burumand and Shima uh, Babai, which uh, these two, they were also uh, bereaved, like Shima's uh, dad uh, was abducted by Islamic Republic and the father of Ladan Ruman uh, was killed, was uh, terrorized, uh, terrorized. Uh, and yeah, that was the time that uh, I found a platform to speak. And at that time, I couldn't really uh, think like properly. Like I was like in a pilot mode. And I felt like, okay, this is the right thing to do. This is an opportunity and I have to use it uh, to speak on behalf of the lost voices, uh, like my moms. Uh, so I continued accepting some interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then I uh, applied for a visa for UK. My sister, she's living in UK, so I had no one in uh, friends, no family members. So I was granted a visa and, uh, I went, uh, I came to UK and now you haven't, uh, you don't have a, you don't have a, 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 a British accent yet. Yeah. Right. Like Nazanin. Uh, yes. Because in Iran, uh, the, the English classes are mainly, uh, in American accent. They don't oh, teach yeah, the, in oh, the British right accent. Kind of, oh, the correct kind of English. But... <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it continued my, uh, like my activities, uh, but mm-hmm. I'm not that active because it needs a lot of energy. I'm not I'm an sure, activist yeah. yet. This is not right. the path, uh, that I have chosen. I could never think of, uh, just like, uh, you know, 
this happening to me and you know going into this path i i don't see myself like uh, this kind of person who would be active and become an activist and what, what uh, would you so, like what would you like to be doing in the, in the, in the um, best of all possible situations so i was always interested in art unfortunately i couldn't do that in uh iran uh because in the city that i lived uh, lived in in kermosha uh the universities there they don't have artistic majors uh mm-hmm. so when i was there i uh chose architecture because okay it it, it has art in it uh mm-hmm. yeah so i started to uh study architecture but it wasn't really a big deal for me uh, i wasn't Nothing, how, really how did you guys it. meet how did you how did you uh, connect I, first off, she, I, Roya, you're so brave. And, you know, we've known each other for a few months now. I first spoke to Roya through a mutual friend when she was in Paris. She was still in Paris. Mm-hmm. And she was seeking to go to the UK to, to join her sister where she is now. And um, and so I think a bunch of us just sort of tried to talk to the UK government and the American government to try to get her visa to one or the other, but preferably the UK, so she could be with with Massa, her sister, her lovely sister, who I've had, I've now had the honor of meeting in person, both of them. Um, and your courage, Roya, you know, like you said, you didn't choose this path. Uh, some of us have chosen this path. You didn't, that you were, you were thrown into it. But what stands out to me is the grace with which you've handled this situation. Um, your impeccable English, which I'm just still, I, I can't believe your English is so good and that you conduct yourself in these interviews so well. So, um, and and I think the first time I became fully aware of her courage and her and, and just everything she's endured was was when she met with President Macron and and how eloquently you spoke and the courage and the, the how much you inspired so many of us um, and the message of, of keep going. We need your help. Because unfortunately, Roya's story and Massa's story are not unique. And there's so many kids who've lost now. And I say kid, Roya, you're not a kid, but, you know, you'll always be a kid to your parents. Um, mm. Who've lost parents or parents who've lost children and, and siblings. And, and the list goes on and on. But there's this incredible slogan, for every person who gets killed, a thousand will rise up behind them. And I think that's what Roya personifies, is this idea mm-hmm. of one person standing up and galvanizing thousands of people for the cause. You know, that brings me to the question of, uh, we sit over here and see what's going on over there and uh, sometimes scratch our heads in terms of what how we can be helpful and how we can uh, get involved. And um, I'm just wondering if there's a... Uh, if if either one of you have any kind of uh, suggestions in terms of that, the, the, you know, the, is there a call to action here that uh, that that we can explain to people? Yes, and maybe Roya has something to add to this, but I would say, please, there's a Roya quite correctly said that Iran is a gender apartheid state. That isn't legally recognized in international law apartheid mm-hmm. only applies to race mm-hmm. whereas countries like iran and afghanistan women are segregated from men and were men and are oppressed in a way that can only be defined as a, as gender apartheid to get mm-hmm. that legally defined please go to endgenderapartheid.today endgenderapartheid.today add your names and amplify their clear instructions of what the campaign is and if you want to camp- donate, please donate to iranrights.org, uh, the Abdurrahman Buramand Center. And of course, Ladan Buramand uh, is one of the people who went with Roya to, to see President Macron, um, iranrights.org. Roya, do you have anything to add? I always say that stand with people, stand on the right side of the history. Uh, I think we, we can always see the truth from the people of a country. Uh, so listen to them and hear what they have to say. I know in the end, it's the people that should win this revolution and overthrow this regime. Uh, but any help, yeah, we would appreciate that. Uh, you can go on. 
Oh, thank no, you so I, much. Yeah, it's, thank uh, you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, Roy, I, I, I just have to say, I think you are uh, an incredible uh, uh, person. I think that, uh, you know, as we mentioned, you could run, you could hide, you could stay silent for the rest of your life, and. And as you pointed out, this was not a this was not a choice. This was something that was thrust upon you, and, and to to stand up in the way that you have, given this um, these terrible terrible circumstances, is really nothing short of heroic. And so, I wish you all the best um, with your art and your architecture. And and yeah, maybe not architecture. I think I'm going to uh, do a, an art foundation to just uh, figure it figure it out. That's great. I, I it, you know, listen. I, in in whatever you want to do, I can picture you being great at it. You know. Thank you. I need to add that I'm in a safe country somehow. So uh, I think any Iranians that have been victimized uh, by Islamic Republic, if they have uh, a safety zone, if they uh, go to a safe country, I think many of them uh, would speak up. And I think there there are just a lot of people that are uh, more brave than me, that they have more courage than me, those who uh, went to the streets and protested empty with empty hands uh, against the guards that had shotguns in their hands or even heavy machine guns, like military machine guns, uh, like uh, the uh, massacre that they did in uh, the Kurdish uh, province in Iran, uh, in Jena, or uh, Women Life's uh, Women Life uh, Freedom uh, Uprising. Uh, I think that is the real courage to me. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. Nazanin, thank you so much for uh, highlighting this and also uh, for your work. Keep up your good work. Beautiful thank you, work. Kevin. Keep doing it. Um, I wish you all the best luck. And, and uh, you know, you we know that what we... What we like to talk about on this on this um, show is is that you know sometimes people that are in the arts also care about other things, and yeah. you're a perfect example of that. And so I thank you, I, I applaud you for that. And uh, thank you, and, and we thank you for your yeah, thank for caring, you, Kevin, for caring. Thank you, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, take good care. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Six Degrees with Kevin Bacon. Nazanin and Roya's story, it's so poignant. It's so relevant. This is a crisis that is going on right now. And if you want to learn more about Woman Life Freedom Movement, head to www.endgenderapartheid.today. You can find all the links in our show notes. Make sure you subscribe to the show and tune into the rest of our episodes. You can find Six Degrees with Kevin Bacon on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. If you are inspired by today's episode, please join us in supporting SixDegrees.org by texting the word BACON to 707070. Your gift empowers us to continue to produce programs that highlight the incredible work of everyday heroes, while also enabling us to provide essential resources to those that need it the most. Once again, text B-A-C-O-N to 707070 or visit sixdegrees.org to learn more. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.